1: high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're going to be talking to Mike, the Director of Engineering at FAIR.com. He shares with us how a leader must be able to see the furthest but never forget the valuable input of those around them. So let's not delay. Let's get Mike into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Mike. Welcome to CTO Confessions Podcast. Thanks. Yeah, I'm gl- glad to be here. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, um, I'm Mike Villalobos.
0: I'm a director of engineering here at FAIR. I've been a director now here for a little bit over a year, uh, manager before that. And yeah, it's uh, it's generally
1: what I do. Brilliant. That's great. So... um. Let's, let's just find out the, about, more about the company that you work for. Um, tell us a little bit about that.
0: Cool, yeah. So, Fair is an auto tech company that's trying to, or is providing an all digital solution that makes the car buying experience as easy as possible.
1: Brilliant. I like it. It reminds me of where, when I've had to buy cars in the past. It's not the most gentle and uh, smooth sort of processes. There's a lot of angst and stuff in the process.
0: Yeah, I think it's a shared pain that many of us have that, you know, it's obviously a area that's ripe for innovation and making a lot better for everybody.
1: Excellent. That's great news. So the subject of this podcast is around your leadership and how you roll as a leader, as a tech leader, to be more precise. So firstly, let's tell us about your passions. What's the things that really kind of make you jump out of bed in the morning and uh, do your thing, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean... I've really been passionate about leadership in general uh, ever since I was, you know, an engineer growing through, you know, being a junior, mid-senior, whatever, uh, leadership and growing the people around me. And then once I started becoming a manager or director, just continuing that process because I really feel, and I've seen this in my experience, that when you're elevating the people around you, when you are, or the people who maybe report to you or whatever, you're just really growing, not only the individual, you're growing the team, you're growing the company. It's just this multiplicative effect that um, just works across everything. So yeah, uh, what gets me really passionate is when I just kind of see that happening, I guess, when it's that, that awesome feeling when... You know, you're seeing projects getting done, and you're seeing employees, you know, that you work with get promoted or, or recognized or any of that stuff. That's like super awesome. To me.
1: Yes, I love that. It's a, the emergence of the emergence of something happening based on uh, your, I, I guess, kind of choreography as, as a leader, you know, it's kind of you're, you're kind of bringing about the right situations for things to kind of emerge from. Um, yep. I I've, I've sense there's a real kind of human centric aspect to your leadership here.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, ultimately, a company is the people that work there. Um, So if you you have to treat everybody like humans, you start the the second you start treating them like robots or or resources, you know, it's uh, it just doesn't become a very fun place to work. And I think that's just felt across the board, really.
1: Yeah, I I think it's great to hear another leader talking like that. It's something that's very close to my heart. I, I have a, a thing, a passion of the humanity in the work, humanity in workplace. Because we're all human beings, humanity's cool. So why not have it in the workplace as well?
0: Exactly, yeah. Um, and it's that really that human element that makes it um, amazing. And honestly, in tech too, people see tech and they think, oh, it's logic, it's robots, it's people. Do you know if X, then Y? But honestly, when you start treating people like humans, especially engineers, you'll notice that there's actually more of an art to it. And humans are just great at art and robots generally aren't. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, yeah, I think when you can start bringing that out of people is when you really see the growth and and everything that you're hoping for.
1: Yeah. And I'm curious actually what where's that kind of passion for that human-centric approach coming from? What what kind of instigated that? Was it something you've always had or something that you've developed? Yeah, it's a good
0: question. Um... I feel like it's something that I've generally had. I had it in school. I would generally try to be the leader for whatever that was going on. Maybe there's a slight narcissism, or at least that started it in terms of like, well, I know how this thing should be done. So I'm going to take charge in terms of making sure it gets done. Um, There might've been some of it to that, but honestly, I think once I got past that, I think it's just, um, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, I could put work into something. I could be an individual contributor, sure, like I can do that and that's great. But when I can do that across multiple people and have this kind of multiplicative effort, seeing the fruits of the labor being driven by that and manifesting in the result of a finished project or uh, a new Initiative for the company being solved or anything like that. I think you know it's awesome when you can kind of take a step back and be, you know, I was I was really instrumental in making that happen, and yeah. and so I think all of that kind of plays together into why why I personally enjoy
1: it. Brilliant, that's right. I, I mean, it's it's great to hear because uh, one of the things as a as a certified coach, I I listen for people's kind of values, and I, I hear a real value around having impact. You know, there's a, there's a having a uh, making a difference, but n- not so much kind of dictatorial or kind of aut- or, or autocratic, it's it's around creating the right conditions, you know, to... to, yeah. to re- and I,
0: yeah, and I've gone down that route, b- route before and it <laughs> doesn't work
1: out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I've been down there as well. I kind of talk a good game, but I, I look back at my history, um, uh, myself as well, and it's, 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 it's a learned thing for me. And, and the great thing about it, I, I guess, for other kind of tech leaders out there is that there's a real return on investment. It's not about the money. Uh, but there is a return on investment in taking that uh, uh, more kind of caring, compassion, pa- compassionate approach in you know, the kind of thing. Yeah,
0: and honestly, I think once you start looking at things maybe a little bit more abstractly, it does actually impact the money. Like you know, when you do look at how these things do eventually impact velocity and profitability, because of that, there is a money component to it. Like yes. it's it's a win in so many categories that. Yeah to, to not take that approach is, is honestly, you know, foolish. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. I always I joke that, you know, I'm trying to create, the, the, I guess kind of leaders like ourselves, we're trying to create a, a beautiful marriage between capitalism and that kind of the human element as well. You know, that's, that's me, the perfect solution you know? win, 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 win all round kind of thing. You mentioned uh, off um, offline around the chess game of resource allocation. Tell us a little bit about that. I was quite intrigued by this.
0: Yeah. So I would say chess game. Yeah. But obviously what's chess, right? It's strategy. It's trying to think ahead. It's, you know, well, if I do this, then what, you know, what will I do next round or next round, next round or anything like that? And as you know, when I was kind of talking about that, how I should be allocating certain people to certain projects, how, um, knowing, uh, what's coming up maybe three months, six months ahead. I can make moves now that's going to make me set up for success in those three months or six months. Yes. Um, so that could be uh, moving certain people to work on, you know, certain projects or, or, um, or you know, leading certain uh, people down certain paths or in doing inve- early investigative research or things like that where um maybe and then on and then telling them why they're doing it obviously yeah yeah. Uh, and you know being transparent in that regard but ultimately yeah that kind of uh there's that aspect to it and then also taking a more personal approach right and why it's chess and not checkers when it's a checker everything is the same right and that's not how you think about about chess you have different pieces in a chess game right rooks knights bishops stuff like that all important but all who are uh carrying out specific functions and i think part of that people element is understanding exactly who's good at what what they and when you should be allocating certain people to certain things and things like that
1: that's brilliant i love that analogy actually that kind of chess game just out of curiosity going totally off piste uh, in terms of the uh, subject of the podcast are you good at chess yourself <laughs> um
0: decently good uh i don't play as much as i used to honestly um but uh and I, there's been a number of tournaments i think i've shied away from just because i don't want to be proven wrong but, uh, <laughs> I think okay.
1: yeah yeah it, you got me at tournaments you've beaten me i, I i've never been in a tournament so I, I think you're up there somewhere you know uh so that's good great and and the, Alec, this kind of looking ahead and being strategic, I, you know, the analogy of, you know, uh, the, the three-move-win or whatever it is, you know, check checkmate and kind of, uh, obviously, it's not quite like that. Or has it been like that? Have you kind of planned ahead enough and it's kind of gone, that's gone exactly how how I thought?
0: No, and I don't think it's that's even something to expect, right? There's always going to be some external factor, internal factor that's going to, You know change your plans or uh you know things aren't going to always work out the way that you expect them to and then that's when you need to be agile right that's when you need to uh be reactionary um you know chess for all of the you know permutations of the game it's still less than i think the permutations of life so you have to be uh really reactive to those kinds of things
1: yeah that's right it's the the old agility piece coming in again but on a kind of bigger scale, um, coming on to your uh, team then, okay? Because I, I guess the uh, the holy grail of all tech leaders, all leaders, in fact, is to have kind of you know rock star, super performing powerhouses of creativity and innovation uh, in their kind of teams. How would you go about creating that?
0: Yeah, so um, obviously you're going to start. Let's say you have a team of fresh engineers, and and I've been put in this position too, where Um, you're not familiar with everybody and and who, you know, what they do. So um, my team sizes, first off, you know, I I tend to have around, you know, three to five people in any given team. And then I manage right now um, three teams. So that's relatively my scope. And then I, even though, you know, I have my managers and then I have, and then I have the people who report to them, but I try to, I first thing I did was I set up one on one with everybody. I said, Hey, I need to know who you are. So I, and I, and I need you to know who I am. So yeah. I started chatting with everybody and, and figuring out who they are, figured out what they're passionate about. And then based off of that, you start seeing people um, more or less um, falling into what I would say three categories of what they're great at. Um, there are people who, like, my, like myself, are, are decently good or good at leadership, if I could say I'm good at leadership. Um, And then there's people who are uh, really good at being an individual contributor uh, or programmer or engineer or however you wanna call it. Um, They're very highly technical. And then there's people who kind of sit in the middle but are what I tend to call architects, people who um, are more systems engineers and think about the bigger picture. And while you're not gonna get like one person is like great at one thing and it's terrible at the other things. Um, there's generally gradations for each person in, in that space. But you, through that experience, you can kind of see certain team structures forming. You wouldn't want to put all of your architects on one team, all your leaders on another team and all of your uh, programmers or engineers on another team, right? You would want to try to start sharing it around so that you can try to get a good compensation of each. And it's something that you just kind of learn through experience, learn as time moves on. And then, uh, you know, you start maybe thinking about, well, maybe they're not, this person is not uh, performing as well as they can be on this team because, you know, they're, but they might perform awesomely on this team because, you know, there's an imbalance between all of those things. So this is where that kind of strategic thinking there, you obviously want to make sure that they're, you know, you're going to be talking through this. But honestly, in my experience, as long as you've shown or, you know, the value in making these moves, like people are, are usually happy for those things yeah. to happen.
1: So. Yeah, that's good. I like that. I love the idea of uh, giving people the intention of why you're doing something. You know, you're, we're doing this because of it, or this is the thinking behind. In fact, I was talking to a, um, a, a client the other day and the importance of knowing where, where they're going with something, the thinking behind that is really important. I love how, you, how you're going to give information out, you know, uh, where we're we going and why we're we doing that, you know, kind of thing. So that's brilliant. That's really good. Um, and during your kind of COVID period, how have you found that? Because this is, this is the big elephant in the room, the size of, the size of a, an elephant, but it's in the shape of a, a COVID virus. What's that been like? Yeah um it's
0: been interesting right a lot of things that we used to take for granted from everybody being in an office uh was is was a little bit more difficult like one thing that was great in the office was being able to just grab a couple people go to a whiteboard and say hey let's just solve this problem real quick right yeah um and while you can do it through zoom it's not quite the same and you have to schedule and stuff like that you have more meetings um what i found is uh, when it comes to planning planning has been harder it's it's required more meetings um, but when it but when things are planned and everybody knows what they're doing it's actually been a boon in that sense where uh, engineers honestly they like working from home often and they could just kind of put their heads down and solve a problem then that's often um, really good as well so, Uh, the way I've kind of worked around that or or worked through that is a couple ways. I would say, one, um, a lot of asynchronous communication, documentation, making sure there's shared documentation, uh, empowering certain people to lead certain projects to make sure that they are um, providing that, facilitating that, um, creating the meetings that need to happen. And then uh, when it comes to career development, mentorship, getting engineers to work more collaborative, collaboratively <laughs> together. Uh, you know, really encouraging things like pro, uh, pair programming. Yes. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a meeting on the calendar if you just want to talk to somebody, hey, can we just jump on a call real quick? We'll share a screen and we'll work something out. So okay. well, yeah, the the challenges have been um Challenging. <laughs> the, yeah, uh, uh, um, I think we've kind of hit a good stride and a good rhythm. And honestly, even after COVID, I can absolutely see remote teams being a new normal, um, mm. and or remote engineers. I don't see everybody rushing to you know get back into an office, and especially because a lot of people moved. <laughs> so yes, it's just, that's right. Uh, It's something that we're just that we're going to have to continue to evolve over time and make sure that just because you're remote doesn't mean that your your growth is now stunted because you can't have the benefits of being in the office.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's um, during uh, during the COVID, I've kind of joked about moving to some kind of far flung part of the world and nobody will notice. And then and then eventually they realize oh he's working in hawaii or something like that i don't know uh, which is as far away from the uk as you can get and weather wise as well um and you mentioned about the whiteboard actually, because this is a, uh, people have listened to the podcast before. I, I will know that I'm a lover of whiteboards. I think they're these beautiful white slabs of collaboration and discussion. And, and, and they just seem to have this kind of gravity. They have a kind of collaboration gravity. When somebody gets a pen out and starts drawing on it, everybody else wants to have a go, you know, kind of thing, you know? Um, and um, so with remote teams, how do you kind of suggest other tech leaders or yourself, how are you going to uh, bring that magic back?
0: Yeah. It's a good question. Honestly, you know, we've used some online tools to, um, you know, have everybody kind of draw on different, you know, virtual whiteboards. Um, you can have shared lucid charts or stuff like that. Um, the best you could do is attempt to emulate the experience. It's never going to be the same. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's, it's just not, um, I wish it was, but, yeah. uh, it's, uh, but honestly, um, this is where I think, and and you would kind of get this with the whiteboarding strategy too, but more or less assigning somebody to be a leader to, um, and I, and this doesn't need to be the same people too, um, but and, and but basically saying hey, um, start drafting up some proposals or you know talking to different people to get their ideas, put it down in a Lucid chart or some kind of. Uh, you know, documentation there, and then let's have a meeting to kind of circle around it, and then we can collaborate, make changes, make suggestions, things like that. Yeah, um, you can get close to that experience, but it's still not the same. And and honestly, the virtual whiteboards, I think it's it's it starts descending into chaos pretty quickly too. I, think.
1: <laughs> I can uh, imagine, yeah, because uh, yeah. everybody everybody's got a pen, and they're not going to get in each other's way. They're all having a go, you know. Yeah, exactly.
0: Everybody's got a pen. You can fit five people in the space of one.
1: yeah chaos if um it's interesting you mentioned uh i I don't mean to kind of put put a plug in here but lucid charts i'm a big fan of it you know um it's a, it's a fantastic, and i always kind of pop it up and it's very quickly able to kind of uh, give detail kind of theories. I also, I, I love it that much, and this is going to sound really weird, but I'm going to share it anyway, is that if, if Lucy Charts was was a potential partner, I would have run away with it by now. I love that tool so much, you know, kind of thing. Uh, because of the collaboration, the ability to kind of knock up ideas very, very quickly is just brilliant. Um but but I guess the other thing is, is that a lot of companies don't have the ability to be able to, you know, like a, a pen pad. Not every engineer has one, you know, which then kind of creates a, an inability for people to start drawing. Yeah, um,
0: that's a good question. I think if you keep on, um, it, it, we have to just kind of keep looking at the different tools and stuff. Um, I haven't seen a great solution for it like i said um if somebody wants to draw on a document and use that or hell, even have like their own draw physical drawing show it to the camera I, like i don't know yes, um, yes. but yeah. you know it's something that honestly for me at least in my teams it's the lucid chart route has more or less um worked for what we're trying to do again and not as good as, as whiteboarding but you yeah know, i haven't really had a problem or somebody is like man i really wish like yes. yeah.
1: yeah one of the things that we notice about tech leaders um especially in the tech space is that there's usually a kind of blend of uh of in-sourced outsourced uh in-house uh kind of people contractors as well what, what's the what's the kind of solution you have there is it kind of one one thing or is it an, a number of different things
0: yeah, so, you know, we have a blend of internal uh, resources and contractors as well. Sometimes it's just easier to rapidly hire some contractors or contracting groups to solve a problem or just add more resources to your existing teams.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so, yeah, we have a blend of both.
1: And, and what were the challenges that you've kind of noticed or uh, any solutions that you found about making that easier as a leader?
0: Yeah. Um, in terms of outsourcing or, you know, uh, contractors, the... I would say some of the problems are often, you know, you're you're generally going through some contracting firm, you'll have to work with them to make sure that you're still getting quality engineers. So um, we have a vetting process, it's an accelerated interview process, as they generally do there. But um, I always make sure that anybody that's coming into at least my teams, I've at least talked to and vetted myself, um, or interviewed, um, and had somebody else on my teams interview them as well. So they're not completely just thrown in. And then once they are in the um, company, you want to make sure that their work is scoped. You want to make sure that a contractor is also feeling like, you know, they're not bored. They're not just sitting around doing nothing, obviously, because then it might happen. Yeah, that's right. Um, But ultimately, um, aside from, you know, the HR logistics of a contractor, I've generally treated them just like I would treat any other internal engineer.
1: Yeah,
0: um, I yeah, because why wouldn't I <laughs> you know yeah you know, again, I don't like people like machines,
1: yeah, that's right, it's getting that human centric stuff, you know there you know uh we used to I used to be a contractor many years ago uh when I was in the embedded space and uh and being a contractor sometimes you did get treated differently, and we used to say, you know we're humans too, we do have feelings, you know, um but that's great to hear, and uh and any other tips that you've got for kind of creating high-performing teams, uh, you know, to, to get the, the really best out of them and uh, deliver the value that you want and to the business? Yeah, again,
0: like, so when I was talking earlier about understanding, you know, who's good at what, um, a lot of that is, again, is keeping that human element, making sure you're regularly checking in with them, uh, doing one-on-ones, doing, uh, you know, making sure that they are feeling supported. Often I think engineer people in general, some of them, they're going to excel no matter what, right? They're go-getters, however you want to say it, they are going to tackle every problem that's thrown at them. They're, you know, maybe they're the leaders or whatever. That'll just naturally happen. Other people have a ton of potential, but they kind of lock it away under this kind of layer of, I don't know, insecurity or um, or just being shy or whatever you want to call it right so it's really trying to understand that and say okay i know you're great at this so i'm going to start you know either giving you more responsibility or giving you more projects or stuff like that and work with them to figure out exactly what their comfort level is but often the people who are quietest are 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 quiet but they're thinking oh man we should be doing this and this and this this, but we're not you know so getting that out of them and making them feel comfortable with sharing that i think is huge or else, then you have an echo chamber with just the loudest people in the room, and you have a bunch of other people who are begrud- begrudgingly going along. They need a that.
1: <laughs> That's right. You need that honesty, the trust, and the uh, uh, what, what's the five of dysfunctions of a team? There's the trust, and then there's kind of uh, fear of conflict or fear of uh, not conflict, but de- uh, good debate, you know, healthy debate. Yeah. You need that to uh, to because people have different perspectives. And would you believe it? I used to be shy. I used to be shy person. So I'd been one of those people that would have sat in the background, you know, saying nothing. And I was full of great ideas. (laughs) Oh, me
0: too. People were always so shocked for, you know, there's the, um, what is it? The, you know, where where you just feel like you you don't deserve where you're at, um, you know, or, you know, the, what can I think of it? The, um, anyway, um, I've told my engineers that before. It's like, you know, I've often had that feeling too where I'm like, you know, I, I, a kind of, imposter syndrome. That's what I was thinking. Yes, yes. You know, so many people have that, right. They're like, I do not deserve where I'm at. I'm an imposter stuff like that. I had it for the longest time too. Most of my engineers, if I tell them that are shocked, they're like, you really? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I kind of have it now too. But, but what, what I tell them too, cause they'll come to me and they'll say that they have it, you know, I'm like, look, I think you're awesome. You're looking at your peer reviews. They're thinking that you're awesome. Eventually you have to just like start letting that sink in yeah. and say, yeah, you know, I'm not an imposter. I'm actually deserving of where I'm at. Yep. And another big thing, um, which I wanted to touch on real quick um, that I think is, is so important is transparency, um, letting the engineers know what's going on and not treating them as again, just um, I have this task, go do it. The engineers and and honestly, the people in general, it doesn't even have to be engineers, but when everybody knows the whys for what we're doing and, and what this is going to achieve and what's the longer term plan that this component is going to be a part of, like, That is huge. Not only because they should just know, but they might have suggestions. They might be like, Oh, well, I see we're doing this and I know we want to do this. Is this the best route or maybe we can go this way and, you know, we'll achieve it two X faster. You'll give them that opportunity to do that too. If you don't, if you don't talk to them, then you're not going to get on these opportunities.
1: Absolutely, yeah, because that, I mean, we're, we're a big fan of ITLabs uh, with the radical transparency because it allows you to deal with reality, but also it allows different voices from different perspectives. You know, it's a little bit like going to a museum and being seeing a piece of art. You can look at it direct, but, you know, somebody's looking from the side, they'll see something different and be able to share that and uh, and also correct. It, it reminds me of a little bit of the agile uh, planning poker. Have you ever used that at all in your thing where you're estimating and you get somebody with a, with a one and somebody with a... I don't know what their big number is, but yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's it's very much that too, right? Um, where you know, there's certain tasks or whatever one person might think it's way harder, and then another person is like, oh, well, actually, if we just do this, we can do this in half the time. And you're yes. like, oh, well, great. But if everybody has blinders on and you're not giving them the full picture, then how are they going to be able to do that? Excellent. So. Uh, my always approach with transparency and and if i and i talk about it in terms of what they're working on i talk about it in terms of what other teams are working on i talk about in terms of what the company vision is like my general rule is unless somebody tells me not to tell something not that i don't have my own discretion but (laughs) i'll just just share it i'll just make sure hey this is what everybody's doing um at the very least so you know and at you know at best, you're going to propose something. You're going to think of something cool that we're going to do. That's just going to augment all of this stuff.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It's it's almost like an accelerant on innovation, creativity, and kind of collaboration. You just you throw it in there and let people know. This actually brings me onto a, a, a interesting. I want to go backwards a little bit towards the COVID nineteen and the remote working because one of the things that's challenging around working remotely, if you're in a room with somebody, you can overhear conversations. You can even sense the feeling of what's happening in in the space. You know, you get this sense that. something's somebody's upset or somebody's really happy you know how have you kind of dealt with the communication issue because that must be crippled as well yeah there's definitely a cultural
0: aspect to that right so sure there's the overhearing or whatever but there's also just the community aspect of being with a group so we've employed a couple strategies here um one thing is we have what we call co-working sessions which is just a couple hours a week and you can however you want to change it but basically where there's no agenda it's just a zoom meeting people can just hop on and just chat about whatever while they're working um it gives you that kind of office-ish feel where you know i might be talking to one person in that group but everybody else is hearing it they're just working on whatever but then also yeah we have game nights we have we try to keep that community aspect alive as much as possible and because it's remote, obviously everybody can opt in or not. So I think there's, you know, there's the team, there's the group, there's the department, there's the organization trying to keep that alive, however you can, through remote sessions, through, um, you know, other certain meetings or Slack channels or however you want to call it. Like I yeah. think is important. It's you know the culture keeping that alive is very important. Again nothing is going to be the same as actually physically being there. But you have to i think you have to the attempt to emulate it as much as possible and i think honestly depending on the situation there's probably advantages to not having everybody here when you're <laughs> when you're upset
1: yeah that's right yeah there's there's, the, there's yeah. the silver lining you know um i love this idea of kind of having these kind of co-working sessions where people just show. it reminded me actually uh, on a funny note uh, where you can i don't know if you try tried on spotify you can actually get soundtracks of office noise have, oh. have you, yeah, there's actual tracks out there for office noise for your remote working. So, but it's not it's not quite helpful uh, for for co- collaborating and stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, this idea of just people getting together and connecting and and just talking and while they're uh, while they're working, I think that's a that's a real that's a takeaway for me. I'm going to set that up actually. Uh, we you heard it here first off mic, okay, uh, audience. Um, here we go. This is a fun question for you, or rather, not fun. We're going to touch on something. Uh, what's what's the thing that keeps you up at night? What's the, as a tech leader, stresses you out and you think, Urgh. yeah,
0: um, it's really dealing with uncertainty, I guess, honestly. What keeps me up at night is, are my engineers going to know what they're working on in a month, in two, in three? Are we setting ourselves up for that future? And, are there things that I can be doing now to ensure that that happens? Now, you could just say that's basically my job <laughs> yeah, at yeah. Night. But um, for somebody who's used to a certain degree of certainty when I was a manager, now being a director, that has been a challenge for me is to help to shape the vision and also working with other... Directors and other departments. That's another thing. When you are a IC, you're generally just working with other engineers, even with managers. You're working with other teams. But now I'm working with people in completely different departments, yeah. who have their own needs and own problems, and working on their own systems. That you know, and then it's now. Oh, okay. Well, this over here affects this over here, and this affects this part of the roadmap. So, what keeps me up at my and literally sometimes, is that now it's not just 2D chess. Now it's 3D chess. Yes. It's thinking, this is my 2D engineering plane, but now there's a 3D of, oh, here's product, here's operations, mm-hmm. here's accounting, here, you know, all these other systems that
1: are working together to make all this work. So Beautiful analogy. I like that. 3D chess. Reminds <laughs> me of uh, Star Wars when they were playing that thing. Oh, but the... Um, You kind of touched on the subject that I'm very passionate about and we we are passionate about here at IT Labs, which is around the kind of position of tech leaders within organizations. There was a time where tech leaders just delivered stuff. They gave an output. The business needed some technology. You delivered. What are your thoughts about the position that tech leaders have in organizations now?
0: Yeah, um, I think, again, similar to what I was talking about before with um, knowing what's going on, I feel like it's just so much Using a tech lead as a component in an overall achieving goal is very key. When an engineer or a tech lead or whoever is not given the full context of whatever is going on, they're going to build something to spec, sure. But engineers, in general, are great at solving problems. Bringing them into other meetings with other stakeholders, other business people, understanding the problem is key I think to solving that problem yeah. so often when you treat tech leaders this is so often when you treat tech leaders like you just mentioned what will happen is people will approach them with solutions not problems and that's a problem yes <laughs> when you approach somebody with a solution and don't tell them the problem then sure they'll do that but then you'll find out you know oh this didn't actually solve the problem if you give them the problem and let them figure it out you'll get a much better solution
1: love that that's that's beautiful. And they, I, I totally agree, um, you know, and engineers generally uh, are curious, inventive, innovative, creative creatures and giving them something, you know, guardrails, real tight guardrails doesn't really bring out the best in them and uh, can be quite kind of uh, suffocating. Um, and coming back to your company, just going to touch on some of the challenges you've had in your career around growth pains of companies i mean is there kind of kind of common themes you've got here and things that you've learned around that for so other tech leaders can avoid or maybe do to help them yeah i
0: think um you know not just at, at fair but at other companies i've worked at where you know you have that kind of growth you do tend to go from the very initial startup phase where even your maybe your vice president of engineering is sitting there coding alongside you know everybody else like you have this 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 drive to push out a product, right? Mm -hmm. When you have that, there's not much process, right? It's pretty much, this is the thing we're doing. We have five people sitting in a room, they're just solving it, right? And then as you kind of evolve from that, then you start introducing some kind of process. The teams are starting to grow. You can't do that simultaneously. And then you have more people invested in the output. So you need to be able to speak to that and you have um, where, you have, where you you need to start thinking about project management and how you're going to start, you know, implementing agile practices. I would say one thing to avoid is implementing those processes too early. And then another one is to just never implement them. I think you, you, you kind of get too. You, you really need to find that, that right aspect. Generally, I think it happens after your first raise or maybe first or second raise yeah. um, when you just start maturing. And then um, beyond that, another thing that you need to really start focusing on is that career growth aspect. You want people to feel like they want to stick around in this company, right? So getting in early those career tracks, I think is also very important. And one big pitfall towards that end is don't make leadership a mandatory part of that track. I think you need to have parallel tracks. If yeah. somebody feels like the only way to get promoted is to become a manager, then you failed because there you can get so much out of somebody by just letting them continue on an IC track. You should. So, when somebody becomes a senior engineer, that's usually where at Forks you have leadership um, and IC tracks. Generally, you might have a, you might even have an architecture track to go back to the three things that I said before. But basically. You should have, okay, you are a great IC contributor. You're a great tech leader. We're going to promote you from senior to staff or principal or whatever you want to call it, but it's basically, or we can promote you to manager. And if you're a manager, you're people managing, you're doing all this stuff. If you're a tech lead, you're elevating the technical part of the organization, but you should make that apparent parallel. And so everybody just feels like they can choose the best path for themselves. I have seen it. I've worked in company or worked in situations where the only way somebody felt like that they could elevate themselves was to be a manager. And I've seen great technical engineers be terrible managers and then it just ruins it for everybody. So that is a huge pitfall that that companies need to make sure that they avoid.
1: That's a great one to bring up, actually, because uh, yeah, I've seen examples of this myself. Um, in fact, we we got one of our previous guests, who's uh, an engineer at Google, and he actually said, "I don't want to become a CTO. I love my technology. I love leading uh, from the coal face. I love." doing that and I thought and and of course Google have honored that which I thought was a brilliant kind of uh, uh, way to be you know Uh, so yeah hopefully that's inspired uh, other tech leaders out there to kind of uh, create those parallel paths so people don't feel as though they're going down the wrong rabbit hole you know go down the right rabbit hole um (laughs) As we kind of come towards the end of our time together, I was going to ask you some interesting questions. Well, at least I think they're interesting. Um, What would your advice to aspiring leaders out there be, you know, based on your journey and what you've learned? What would make it more fun uh, and make it easier for them?
0: Yeah. So there's a couple of things to to kind of point on. One this is something that organizations can do, honestly, a lot better, at least in my experience, is often tech leaders man, or first managers and stuff like that don't get any training. It's just generally, hey, you're a manager now. Um, go do that. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. okay. And what were you used to before that, right? You used to being a senior engineer. and and building out projects and knowing exactly what you're doing. And if you take that same philosophy to being a manager, what you're going to do is what I actually did first is you're gonna start micromanaging the hell out of them. You're going to say, okay, this is all that needs to be done. You do this part, but here is exactly what you need to do. And you do this part. And here's exactly what you need to do. If you start doing that, they're not going to like, I was literally, I remember this. I literally was writing tickets and putting code in the tickets. And telling them they need to put this code in this file. This oh, no. Okay. Don't do that. <laughs> I, did <not> get, <laughs> I did not get a lot of uh, good feedback from that. Um, so, but when you start treating people more, again, as collaborators, right? You shouldn't think of yourself as a leader or per se. You should think of yourself as just another engineer, another collaborator, right? If you treat them like that and say, okay, this is how I feel, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Or, hey, you, um, we have this area where we're not really sure what we're going to do here. It's your job to figure that out. Like, you know, start collaborating in terms of that, but also delegating and, and empowering people to solve those problems. And you're going to get much better um, stuff there. So avoid um, the, the micro, the, the instinct to of control, I think, yes. at first. Right. Yeah. Um, so I learned that one early. The other one is make sure as a lead, your job is to ensure that everybody knows what they're doing, um, and, and and you know what to do. Basically, you are thinking two, three sprints ahead. You're working with other teams. You're working with product or whoever to make sure that that is kind of formulated out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think honestly, it's practice, experience, and then feedback. You should be asking your other engineers for feedback. You should be giving it back to them. You can ask other managers your or your boss or mentor or whoever you want to call it. Communication, keeping that alive and open. It's so important.
1: Yeah, I love that. Feedback loops, big, solid feedback loops kind of uh, allow the system to create a learning organization. You know, it's about uh, it's about getting up. I'm, I'm curious as to how you got that feedback, you know, when uh, you were kind of uh, giving the tickets out. Did there, somebody say... Um, the oh word. Yeah, my,
0: yeah uh, one of my senior engineers, um, he, uh, he he very candidly said this was not good, uh, <laughs> how you're doing this. And also he disagreed with my approach. So, um, you know, he was like, well, and and he did it the way I should have gone about it, which was like, this is not great. Maybe we can do it this way. And he was right. And so yeah, I think we ended up going his way anyway. So, yeah. um, you know, you have to really set aside that ego yeah um, absolutely
1: yes yeah. I, i'm hearing a, a good uh great leaders are learners yeah. they, they they're open to all feedback loops you know the ones that are painful the ones that are pleasant as well uh, and then kind of using them in a, in a good way so it's really good to and great advice for uh for other leaders out there yeah is it
0: he's,
1: he's a he's a fun part of the podcast i love because i love books um again <laughs> nobody can see my books, but I've got books everywhere around me. Um, and not all of them I've read. What books would you recommend to other tech leaders out, out there, uh, to uh, inspire them and books that have been gateway books for you that have really made a difference to your journey as a tech leader or a leader? Cool. Yeah. Um, honestly, I'm not huge on books. <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll, I'll be clear. Uh, or I'll be honest about that. I do have one. Um, it was called being the boss. Um, and I did read through that and I did like that book. It did kind of describe that transition from being a senior engineer to an engineering manager and how you should be thinking about that. Um, and I did, and I did get some feedback from there, but honestly, most of my experience and learning has been really in practice in and, um, seeing what works and see what doesn't work. So some people, I understand completely. They, like, they, they look through all the books, they say, Hey, you know, you know, and, and they really learn a lot from that. Um, I've just never been big with books.
1: <laughs> that's good. That's good. Exactly. That's, that's that's really exactly. good actually. Cause um, I, yeah, um, I mean, I always look at a book and they, and to me, it's like the, the author giving me their heart, soul and body, you know, kind of thing almost handing it to you, you go here, read everything that I know. Uh, but, but it's, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear another perspective where I guess you've kind of learned from uh, the, the, just the journey, I guess, you know, you're just very open and you kind of pick up on what works and what does, you know, do, yeah. do you know what, Mike, I reckon, even though you don't like books, I reckon you need to write a book. <laughs> you need to write a book. There you go. This is a fun one. I love being a, t- I love being a genie, especially a tech genie. I'm going to offer you a tech wish for your leadership, mm-hmm. for your company or your industry. What would your wish be? Um. So, yeah, Um. I mean,
0: that's a great question. Uh any technology to help me and my customer like uh anything that really helps to, to to shorten that cycle and you know when when you can get the the development the the QA the feedback cycle when you have so many like bottlenecks in that pipeline that makes it really hard to get work done, then you are you're just unnecessarily slowing down the overall process. So the the magic bit of technology, I guess, would be when I'm coding, I can almost immediately see the feedback that I'm going to get <laughs> from that from right. that piece of code or from that project, right? Uh, and then uh, and then continue to work on it and that's kind of uh, i guess that would be my my wish and and the reason why i frame it that way is that it, it's a boost it's helping engineers to get over the the pain of development because my ultimate goal is just free them to develop and build and you know enact their visions of how to solve the problems that the company is giving them so
1: yes beautiful I'm going to take. I'm going to step back. Actually, we we're kind of coming to the end of the arc of the podcast. But I have a question that's really bugging me, and my, and my intuition is kicking, saying ask ask it. So one of the things you talk about is kind of chess game, and 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 sometimes leaders they use different tools to to be able to really kind of see the bigger picture, and then to be able to play that game. You know, do you visualize your planning? Do you, is there some kind of trick that you use to to do this that works for you?
0: Yeah, so um, I'm huge on tech documentation in general. uh, And I think there's almost an abstract way of doing that. So tech documentation for projects, um, tech documentation for, um, like roadmaps and stuff like that. And when I say tech docs, um, we can be product, product documentation, do PRDs, anything like that, but writing stuff down, and, and then collaborating with again, others around. So I am I have probably 100 just of my own personal documentations of things of like, well, we could be doing this or could be doing this and could be doing this. 95% of them never see the light of day. Yeah. But, you know, the 5% that do, you know, I feel, one, I've got more or less a leg up on it as I've already kind of started thinking through it. Yes. Um, and two, it gives me a foundation to if I'm going to delegate that to a team or to a person or something like that, I can start telling them what my ideas are. And again, I try to shy away from telling them exactly how to do it, but basically saying, this is how I feel we can do it, but this is your project. I'm going to look to you to kind of mold it and I will be there to guide and to give you any kind of clarity that you need or help you avoid any pitfalls that maybe I have experienced in my career, but ultimately this is your project and this is your baby and you're going to do that. But maybe that, Originated from a musing or document that I wrote, you know. That's that great.
1: It, it reminds me um, again. This is something I always uh, encourage uh, clients to do, which is journal. Okay, and what you're doing there is kind of tech journaling. You're kind of sharing your ideas. You're kind of creating them, formulating them. There's an act of something about the act of putting pen to paper, or fingers to (laughs) keyboards um uh that that allows another part of the brain to kind of start visualizing seeing the past forward it's a very agile iterative kind of approach i guess you know
0: yeah absolutely
1: yeah i love that there you go tech tech leadership journaling we're going to call it (laughs) you heard it here first (laughs) um so as we come to uh, come to the end now, okay, what would be the key takeaway that you'd leave for the tech men and women leaders out there as a gift, as a as a parting kind of uh, key takeaway? Yeah, I mean, the it's it's a phrase
0: that obviously felt very punny, being the uh, company that I work for, but it, I've honestly been taking it to heart what does fair mean, right? You know, um, what's fair to me, what's fair to my engineers, what's fair to my customers, what's fair to the business. Like, you know, if you just allow the loudest person or you allow people to take advantage or you allow people to, uh, be unfair, then, you know, that's obviously not great and nobody wants to be in an unfair kind of situation. So, what does that mean for me? And I'm just constantly thinking about it, you know, as I'm interacting with this person, am I being fair to them? And am I working with them to help elevate their career? Am I making this a great place to work? And when I'm thinking about a product, you know, what is the user journey? What is the user experience? What is this solving for them? Um, if we're thinking about the unit economics of a new product or catalog or an item or anything like that, you know, how can we price this that is fair to the customer and fair to us? are we taking advantage of anybody? All of these things. So constantly fighting for fair um, is a huge thing for me. And, you know, it's, it's a phrase that I constantly keep rolling around in my head as I am making the different decisions that I have. So to do.
1: Brilliant. Love it. I I love it. I honestly, you, you had me, the t-shirt, that's brilliant. I love. love, (laughs) Fairness is a huge value of mine, and so it's a great note to finish on. So thank you, Mike. Thank you for your time. It's been beautiful having you on board. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, I learned some great things from Mike in that session. How about you? What were your key takeaways? I love Mike's perspective and gratitude of his teams around him. See, not only his proficiency as a tech leader from a tech perspective important, but also the human element, treating the people fairly around him to invite the emergence out of them through authentic empowerment. So I've got some key takeaways that I'm going to share with you before we close our little audio journey here. My first key takeaway was the reinforcement of the power of transparency and open communications, thus creating a good working environment that motivates people doing things such as being clear on requirements, crystal clear, absolute clarity, as well as acknowledging the input from those around you so you can help your team develop and improve their thinking. My second key takeaway is around proficiency. Being proficient in a particular skill, a tech skill, doesn't automatically make you into a leader or a tech leader. It's more about people than it is about the vast knowledge on a particular subject. Sometimes I like the idea of tech leader being converted or translated to tech people leader. That way we realign our efforts into what really matters, which is nurturing those incredibly clever, smart people around you that are gonna deliver the business value. My third and final key takeaway is to see your tech people leadership game through the lens of a chess game. Being a good chess player that you are, you trust every figurine you have on the board, every team member, and let them do their own thing in finding new and better ways of doing what needs to be done. So I agree with Mike that as a leader we do have great ideas to a solution, but they are not always the best ideas. Farm them from your teams, cultivate it. Your teams may well have a better solution to the problem. Trust them and listen to them. So thank you Mike, thank you for your time and for sharing your wisdom with the tech leadership community. I look forward to hearing about the continuing success of FAIR.com and how your tech people leadership continues to deliver great business value to the organisation and its customers. Thank you again, Mike. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.